Oh, okay. <laughs> You're listening, listening to Hold That Thought from Arts and Sciences at Washington University in St. Louis. Hello, and thank you for listening to Hold That Thought. I'm Claire Navarro. In today's episode, we're going to hear a fascinating and strange story about an argument, an elephant, and one of history's most important physicians, someone you may have never even heard of before. To tell the story and help us understand its place in the history of medicine, we're joined by Louis Salas. My name is Luis Salas. I'm an assistant professor of classics at Washington uh, University in St. Louis. Salas studies ancient medicine and philosophy. We're talking about Greeks and Romans. And he spends a lot of his time thinking about the writings of this one man who lived some 1,800 years ago, Galen of Pergamon. Way back in the day, Galen was a physician, a doctor, and not just any physician. He becomes the imperial physician to a Roman emperor called Marcus Aurelius. And he is then appointed to Marcus, uh, to be an imperial physician to Marcus Aurelius's son, Commodus. You might recall Commodus as the creepy emperor played by Joaquin Phoenix in the movie Gladiator. But for scholars like Salus, Galen isn't just remembered as the physician of emperors. He's remembered as a thinker and a writer. He wrote a lot. Galen's writing comprises some 10% of all Greek that's extant, that is, that survives, written before the end of the third century. That's more than double any other ancient author before him, more than five times what we have from Plato. Uh, he's got some 22,000 pages of surviving Greek. So he wrote a huge amount, but more important than the word count is what he wrote in those 22,000 pages. It wasn't just a log of every time Marcus Aurelius got a cold. Galen wrote about anatomy, he wrote about philosophy, and he also acted as sort of a medical historian, recording and commenting on the medical knowledge that came before him. So often other authors are, are largely uh, or even wholly preserved in the Galenic corpus, sort of like he's this amber in which these, these fragments survive. Uh, and that's to good and bad effect. Like, like Amber, things that would otherwise be lost end up surviving in Galen. Um, but the fact that they survive, the fragments survive in Galen's writing means that we have to read them through his uh, lenses. This is true for unknown authors who would have been forgotten without Galen. And in some ways, it's also true for people who, in today's world, have a lot more name recognition than Galen himself. People like Aristotle and Hippocrates, it's Hippocrates who is credited with the famous theory of humors, blood, phlegm, black bile, and yellow bile. This is, this is often the bit of ancient medicine that, that we know about, uh, if we know anything about ancient medicine in a contemporary context. And this theory is not a Hippocratic theory, really. Uh, it's, a, it's a product of Galen as a reader of the Hippocratic corpus. Now, that's not to say that, um, that you don't find humors in the Hippocratic corpus, or even that you don't find these four in the Hippocratic corpus. Uh, but they're not central, um, and it's certainly impossible to say that there's something like a Hippocratic theory of humors. And that arises out of, out of Galen, and then becomes Hippocrates for us. So that's a little bit about Galen and why he's so important to the history of medicine. But I know what you're thinking. Didn't you promise a story about an elephant? I did, and here it is. 
We had to talk about Galen first because he's the main character in the story. And also, he's the one who tells it. Right in the middle of one of those many, many pages of medical text, Galen suddenly breaks out of character and gets a little personal. Here's what happens. Galen tells us about this uh, this sort of sharks and jets throwdown from like West Side Story. In case you haven't seen it, West Side Story is a musical that was made into a movie. And the sharks and the jets are competing street gangs. They sort of dance fight. That doesn't happen here. But anyway, according to Galen's story, he was just walking down the streets of Rome one day when suddenly... He runs into a group of rival physicians and naturally they get into a debate about the, the body. Among, among other things, about whether or not there is a bone at the center of the heart. Galen believes that the heart does have a bone. His rivals, we'll call them the Jets, think that there is no such bone. So Galen lampoons these physicians for doubting that there is a heart bone, and he provides some evidence. There are animals that do have a heart bone. Specifically, oxen, an animal Galen had dissected and had written about before. But the Jets didn't believe him. This is where things get a little weird. Well, according to the story, Galen summons a, an elephant's heart from the, uh, the kitchens of, uh, of Caesar. So al already it's unusual, that, that, right? So there's, there's an elephant that's getting diced up in Caesar's kitchen. So Galen's helpers go fetch the elephant heart and bring it to Galen and his rivals. They're still in the middle of the street here. And Galen shows them the bone. And, uh, and off they run, tail between their legs. And, uh, and Galen tells us, the readers, that, uh, that so he defeats his rivals in the streets of Rome and proves how ignorant they are. And to this day, he says, the writing of, his, of the text, to this day the bone sits like a paperweight on his desk and it's sitting by him as he writes right now. You may have thought that this story was a little strange once the elephant's heart came out of Caesar's kitchen. But to get to the punchline, the really crazy part, you have to know a little bit about elephant anatomy. What's especially striking as I dug into this story is that it turns out that elephants don't have this bone. So whatever, whatever Galen saw, it was not a bone at the center of the elephant's heart because they don't have one. Wait, what? Why would Galen go out of his way like this to prove something that wasn't true? Does he see something that's not there? Did he see some sort of... Uh, some sort of structure, some heart structure there, maybe some sort of plaque. Did he see a bone itself? And the more I started digging, the more I came to the view that he's got all sorts of reasons to see a bone there. To understand those reasons, we have to try to get inside Galen's head and understand how he viewed the natural world. When Galen was living and writing, there was a lot of overlap between medicine and philosophy, and in Galen's philosophical worldview, the structure of an object, how it's built and all its different parts, can tell you a lot about that object's purpose, what it's actually built to do. Galen has a, a view of, of the world that is what's called teleological. That is, that the, the world is, is goal-structured. So if you find a hand, and the hand is a favorite example of his, you look at the structure of a hand, the hand is especially good for doing stuff. And you can be confident in the fact that when you find natural objects, that based on their structure, you could say something about what they do. Looking at it another way, if you know what an object is supposed to do, you can probably predict something about its structure. This brings us back to the elephant's heart. 
Galen had dissected animals. He had also studied and written a lot about bodies in medicine. So he did know something about how hearts work. It is clear to Galen that its function is muscle-like. And so it's got a strain against something. And the view is, well, look, if it's got a strain against something, that it needs some sort of support. And the idea is that in smaller animals, the support can just be tough tissue. But in larger animals, the larger the animal gets, the tougher the tissue's got to be. And so you take elephants, which are the largest animal that he's aware of. And at this point, it's got to be the toughest organic structure that you can imagine. And so it becomes bone. So basically, everything Galen believes about how the world works and how hearts work points him to the fact that there should, in fact, be a bone inside the elephant's heart. But that doesn't fully explain the story. Did he actually confront the jets in the streets of Rome? Was there actually an elephant's heart in Caesar's kitchen? One easy answer, it may not be the right one, but one easy answer is to suppose that he's really just talking about oxen. And if you like, he's spicing things up quite a bit by talking about the oxen as an elephant. It's just a really big ox, if you like. And, and the fact that there's that embellishment is not relevant to the underlying facts of the matter, if you like, which is just that the world is structured in such a way, hearts ought to function in such a way, so of course there's a structure. Have I seen it? No. Do I have to? Not really. Why? Because I've got all of this empirical evidence that tells me that this is how the world ought to operate, and so I can make certain predictions. To further make sense of this story, there's still another big question to think about. And that is why. Leaving aside for a second whether the story was an exaggeration or even whether it happened at all, why would Galen choose to write about it? To begin to answer that question, we have to think about the other characters in the story, the rivals, the Jets. So one of the things that, that I'm interested in research-wise is identifying who his targets are, how he's targeting them, and why there are a surprising number of possibilities. Because in Galen's time, there were no medical schools, no licenses, no certifying boards, no degrees. Pretty much anyone could say they were a physician. And there were lots of competing ideas floating around about what medicine was and how it worked. This is a lot different than the way we think about medicine today. In contemporary American life, we generally have one system uh, of medicine. That is, there, there's, there's a sort of authoritative brand of medicine, if you like, uh, Western biomedicine, standard medicine. In the second century, we've got a lot of competing sects, they're called, sort of schools of thought. Uh, and sometimes their views are dramatically different uh, about the nature of disease, about the nature of bodies, how diseases are communicated. And these sects might differ in practice, and they might even differ in fundamental theoretical commitments. Deep ones, uh, ones that, that emphasize the, the overlap between medicine and philosophy that we frequently get in antiquity. Debates about the, the nature of observation, what counts as knowledge, what count as legitimate scientific claims, what are illegitimate scientific claims. Among all these debates, one stood out in this time period. The debate was about the heart, but it was a much bigger question than whether or not the heart had a bone in it. These groups had different ideas about human identity and the body. Which part of the body houses human intelligence? Where is the control center? Some groups believed it was the heart. Others believed it was the brain. Galen is uh, what's called an encephalocentrist, so he believes that the control center is in the brain. According to Solace, in the shark's first jet's throwdown, 
the Jets were on the other side of the debate. So in, in this context, we can, I think we can safely say the following about his rivals. These are people who believe that the heart is the seat of, it's the control center, if you like. It's the seat of identity, of, uh, of decision-making, and so on. This is likely part of the reason why Galen felt the need to prove his rivals wrong and do it in this over-the-top, dramatic way with the elephant's heart. It was never really sharks versus jets. It was heart versus brain. If Galen could prove that the other side didn't understand how the heart is built, he was that much closer to proving that they were also wrong about what the heart does. This is one of the fundamental, one of the sort of defining debates of that differentiates these medical sects, these groups in the, in the second century. So for Galen to stake out the position that he does and to undermine the other position, is it's not just to argue with this particular group of people in the streets or figured as being in the streets. It's really taking on a fairly major ideological position in a larger philosophical debate. So it turns out Galen was not right about the elephant's heart. But time and his own experiments did eventually help settle the heart-versus-brain question. And taking down his rivals in the streets of Rome, whether or not it actually ever happened, is one chapter in that history. Salas finds this whole episode fascinating because it shows how personal beliefs and historical context can affect research and the production of knowledge. And that, he believes, is something that continues to be true today. One general takeaway I've got from the, the history of, uh, of medicine and science is how often social factors end up influencing the sorts of theories that, that very clever people generate. I'm often interested in the sorts of social factors that, if you like, that influence what Galen sees theoretically. And I think that an awareness of the historical factor, of how it is that historical factors affect the production of theory might encourage us as moderns to be less confident all the time. The view that somehow we are, that science is the, uh, the, the accrual of, of layer upon layer of knowledge until you get to where we're at and we are this, uh, this logical endpoint, positive logical endpoint of thousands of years of this sort of linear progress. I think this view is historically false. That, that doesn't seem to be the way that science and medicine function. Uh, and I think that's a healthy attitude to have about research. It's not just that there's this, this constant linear progression, but that research works and fits and starts, that there are lateral movements, that there are social factors that often determine the avenues down which research will go. That's not to, to suggest that we don't make advances. Uh, that's, not, that's not to deny what, what modern medicine does. It's just a, a useful corrective, I think, to, to the view that we, are, that we are historically unique. Thank you to Louis Salas for joining Hold That Thought. This was the first in a series of episodes on health and healing, so stay tuned for more in the coming weeks. As always, you can find more ideas to explore on our website, holdthatthought.wustl.edu, or you can find our weekly podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or PRX. Thanks for listening.